Blessed are the entitled, for this world lies at their feet. Blessed are the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Blessed are the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Blessed are the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. And blessed are the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Blessed are those that don't get caught, for they shall look good. Blessed are the argumentative, for they shall get the last word. Blessed are the popular, for this world lies at their feet. This world has its own version of events, its own promise of reward. But have you ever met a person who lived by this world's unbeatitudes and came to the end satisfied, radiant, and with a passion? Nope. Are you ready to hurl yet? You know, we had some fun. It was interesting. We had a younger uh, young woman read these beatitudes as part of our bumper video you've been hearing over the last few weeks and we asked her would you do one more for us and we gave her this script and she was kind of looked at us like what <laughs> the unbeatitudes after having studied the beatitudes of Christ you start to feel the tension of the difference between what the world proposes is the way to go versus what God says works. And what we just heard with our own ears and saw with our eyes is that if you were to take each beatitude and, and give the antithesis, that which the world would say, this is the attitude we would pro proclaim and support, you start seeing the difference between how God looks at that which is good and what the world celebrates. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series called Bonafide, looking at the, the real deal, the true person that has experienced the life-changing work of Christ. We began this series in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, and where it basically outlines that the religious standard of their day, which was propagated by those who were called Pharisees. They were religious leaders at the time. And known for working really hard to be, appear righteous. And Jesus makes the comment in verse 20 saying that if your righteousness does not exceed the standard put out there by the Pharisees, you certainly will not experience the kingdom of heaven. So the most religious person and righteous person that the people of his day could ever conceive would be seen as a standard by God as not enough. They were alarmed. They were not excited about hearing that. In fact, they were thinking, I have no hope. I can't possibly move forward with confidence that I am going to be found by God as 
righteous or worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And so ultimately, as we've discovered over the last few weeks, that righteousness, our righteousness must actually be superior to religiosity. If it's just about a bunch of do's and don'ts and, and appearing, it's like, okay, if it calls for me to fast, you know, one day a week, I'll do two. Or if I'm supposed to give 10%, I'll give 15. Or if I'm to pray, I'll pray long and use as many big words as I possibly can. You get the point. The tendency is, is we want to perform to impress God. And God ultimately is unimpressed when the heart is far from him. So a God-affirmed life is where one begins with a humble acknowledgement that they're a sinner that falls short of God's glory. And there is deep regret for the sin in one's life. We get this because with Jesus saying, the standard's gotta be higher, it's gotta be better than that, he does so having said, here is the person that I think stands right before God and that God affirms and approves. And it's called the Beatitudes. It's the first uh, several verses here of chapter 5. And we've been studying them over the last few weeks. And you must receive them progressively because they build on each other. You don't just take one and make the whole picture work. It's receiving each one because it's a progression of the heart. And so let's get the unbeatitudes out of our mind that we just heard and let's hear the real ones now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That feels way more consistent with the heart of God. And so as you receive them progressively, the word blessed, as we learned in the first week of studying the Beatitudes, that, for, that term actually means it's not that you get to walk around happy as much as it is. It's God saying, I affirm you, I bless you, I approve of you when your heart is poor in spirit. You acknowledge that you are indeed a sinner. And then affirmed are you, blessed are you that you grieve over that sin. Blessed and affirmed are you when you then become humble in heart and meek in spirit towards me. And blessed and affirmed are you when you begin to then hunger and thirst for a right relatedness with me. In other words, righteousness. And then, yes, because you then have a right relatedness with me, it will begin to manifest that itself in your right relatedness with each other. And then because you then acknowledge you've received so much mercy from me, you become merciful towards other people. And then, yes, 
as you become more merciful, you're humble in spirit, your right relatedness with God is growing, and your right relatedness with each other is being defined by mercy, but also a pure spirit where your motives are in consideration of that which is God and others. It's really beginning to take over you. You're becoming this other person that is considerate, caring, loving, and is about advocating for the work and mercy work of God. So then it progresses to what? Blessed, affirmed, and approved are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God is saying, I affirm the one who then goes on this journey of heart, acknowledging their sin and making things right, becoming humble, becoming merciful, pure in heart. They will begin to become peacemakers, the ones that define my family, children of God. I want you to hear this statement I'm about to say and and let it Spin a little bit in your head and, and, and see how it hits you when I say this. True peacemakers are often the difference between a healthy family and a dysfunctional one. True peacemakers are often the difference between a healthy family and a dysfunctional one. Jesus Jesus is saying that God's family is made up of peacemakers. And we would have to say that God's family is going to be the healthiest family on this earth. So why do I say that the difference between a healthy family and a dysfunctional one is peacemaking? Well, the reality is, if you think you grew up in a household that you would say, It was a functional, a healthy, a God-honoring family. Then you need to take a moment right now and consider, who was the peacemaker within your family that made that possible? Because the ones that I've encountered where there's dysfunction is when the leaders of the family do not allow for things to become unsettled, addressed, Even if everybody's agreeing there's a problem or something that needs talked about, the peacekeeper starts saying, we don't touch that. We keep things as they are. We live with the dysfunctionality that we've always lived with. And we're going to be okay with that. So it perpetuates this consistent unhealthiness that may have been there for generations. Have you ever tried to be a peacemaker in a family where the experience of that family is generationally rooted to behave a certain way that has been harmful and dysfunctional for generations? Have you ever tried to correct it? And how has that gone? My guess is it was likely not received well. And it became messy, complicated. Maybe you tried to do it by the godly manner of Matthew chapter 18 where it tells us if there's an issue, go to the individual. And you did that. You go to the patriarch or matriarch or the offender in the family that may have caused something that that definitely created ripples throughout. 
You go to that individual privately only to find that they didn't like it and they didn't react to you very well and then they tell others. And then you get that word from somebody else in the family, just, just let it alone. Don't touch that. It's unfixable. It doesn't matter by which, how humble or merciful or pure in heart you may have gone. It can easily be rejected harshly. And as a result, things stayed the same. You see, the difference I do believe between healthy households and ones that are dysfunctional is often at the crucible of how do you handle conflict? How do you handle when something isn't right? How do you handle sin? Peacemaking is never easy. And yet God says, this is what I want my household to function like. My children, my family are going to be peacemakers. We're not going to just sweep things under the carpet and let that difficult discussion happen for another day. Now the peacemaker gets messy. They're willing to deal with maybe a difficult response. Because the peacemaker recognizes that it's often difficult up front, but it improves towards the end. Not always, but most often. But the peacemaker is driven by reconciliation because they recognize something is broken. And the only way to work at it is to acknowledge the situation. You do so, again, charged with the spirit of the Beatitudes, where you recognize, I'm not perfect in fact, I grieve my role in it. I am humble in recognizing that if it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be where I'm at. And then you mercifully go to the person to try to bring right relatedness between you and them and between them and others. You've checked your motives. But still, even with all that, you find it became a mess. They didn't like it. They didn't like that you shined a light on something that's been in the darkness in the closet for years. But the peacemaker's not motivated for their personal comfort, but rather for the benefit of the whole. And I have to say that I believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, gives us a message that's called the Gospel of Peace. That even when we share that with somebody, with a humble heart, a joyful spirit, encouraging them that this will change their life, even then, there can be a mess created. But I believe the gospel compels us to work beyond the possible ramifications of somebody's rejection. Why? Because the peacemaker is hope-based. Peacemaking is hope-based. We hope that even if it gets messy, that in the end, things will come out to a better place where true peace can be experienced. Peacemaking, as, as uh, juxtaposed to peacekeeping, let me kind of describe that for a moment. The peacekeeper is often silent. And when something difficult comes up, they love to change the subject. And kind of laugh it off and smooth it over so that nobody feels anything. 
they're often choosing concern for the moment versus the long-term situation. Peacekeeping is always considering the moment more greater than the long-term. The peacekeeper avoids conflict to a fault. In fact, they do so even at the cost of perpetuating something that is not healthy. It continues for another day, for another person to maybe be brave enough, humble enough, but considering enough and loving enough to speak up once again. Maybe it gets heard then. Peacekeeping is very protective of self. They protect self from disappointment, rejection, or potential backlash. Ultimately, peacekeeping is not hope-based. It's fear-based. Blessed, affirmed, and approved is somebody who is a peacemaker, for they will be called a child of God. The Prince of Peace makes that declaration. My family will not be a dysfunctional family. It'll be made up of imperfect people. But it's going to be a place that we walk in the light, not in darkness. That we're willing to talk through our issues so that right relatedness can happen. And true peace can endure. Now, if we receive the Beatitudes progressively... What comes next after speaking about a peacemaker? It's interesting that after talking about somebody who's a peacemaker, which you would think is the opposite of contention, Jesus goes into an affirmed, a blessed, and approved is the one who is persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, receive progression, progressively. You, ha, you begin the whole Beatitudes with saying, blessed is the one, affirmed is the one who recognizes they're imperfect. They are in need of God's work and they're stuck in their sin. And God says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We start realizing that's where it begins is when we realize we need God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then all these beatitudes with various promises. But when we get to this one, after him saying, blessed are the peacemaker for they'll be called the children of God. But now blessed and approved is the one who is persecuted because of right relatedness with me and with other people. Which can get messy in the work of peacemaking. Because blessed are you when you're persecuted because yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the bookends. After saying, righteousness as defined by the Pharisees is a failure to experience the kingdom of heaven. So peacemaking will lead to experiences where persecution can happen. And Jesus says, blessed, affirmed, and approved are you when you experience persecution because you stepped out and did that which was right. 
Because of a, a right relatedness between you and, and God, you're now wanting to bring that right relatedness between you and other people. And yes, it begins with a merciful and humble spirit. And yes, uh, the right motivations, that pure in heart. But peacemaking, where they can experience that which can truly make them whole, that's when things get difficult between us and other people. Just the mere mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all men are sinners in need of a Savior, in need of a right relatedness with God, lest they experience an eternal damnation in a place called hell. That right there is a message the world does not want to hear. It does not want to hear it. And so as a result, when you bring the message of peace, because it's not about the damnation, it's about the fact that God loved you enough that, it, that he wants to rescue you from that. And that's a message that he wants to bring peace to your soul. Peace to your soul so that you experience the gospel of peace through the prince of peace. Sometimes when we share that message, which is incredible, even share with the right spirit, with the right heart at the right time, we'll experience a not-so-pleasant response. So as a result, persecution happens. Culturally, we're all ingrained to be risk-averse. We don't take risks in society. We've already talked about that back in the spring when I talked about how, how much risk averseness we've, we've gone to, that it's changed our playgrounds. It's changed how we do things in society. It's changed what we let kids do. But it's also changed the church, that the mere possibility that somebody might be offended by hearing that they're a sinner in need of God's saving, we withhold the message of peace. Jesus says, I affirm the one who experiences persecution when they were trying to make peace. Why is this so? Why does the world react when you're trying, when you're actually operating in a peaceful spirit, in a merciful spirit, and you're sharing something that out of love? Why would they reject it? came across this statement where this one commentarian said, the world cherishes its hate and its prejudices so much so that the peacemaker is not welcomed. Because peacemakers point to truth. You see, you can't make peace of a situation unless you're willing to acknowledge what's creating the discord. What's creating the war? What's creating the battle? So peace identifies the issue. The world does not like that. It does not want to be confronted with what might be wrong in each of our individual lives or what might be wrong in our relationships because it brings into account that maybe you're part of the thing that needs corrected. And nobody wants to be told they need corrected, that they need fixed the world wants to keep things as they are so keep it in the dark God brings things into the light and the peacemaking journey brings things into the light but I want to bring two cautions to the perspective when he says approved is the one who is persecuted because of 
righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are two cautions I want to give here. First of all, this beatitude is not a charge to pursue persecution. Okay? But it's rather a caution to try to avoid it. There's a big difference. This is not telling you to go with reckless abandon and create messes so that you experience persecution. You can just say, look at me. I just said Jesus' name, and they made fun of me. They made fun of you because you walked into a room where they were having a meeting, and you interrupted, and you did not show care and concern for them. Don't you dare say that that was persecution because of Jesus' name. You see, sometimes we tend to think that our brashness and our harshness can support the fact that when somebody didn't like it, they're like, because of Jesus' name, chalk another thing in heaven for me. No, this isn't about pursuing persecution's sake for persecution's sake. But it's rather Jesus saying, listen, when you do the work of God and you're offering peace, expect persecution. It's going to happen. So don't try to avoid it. Don't withhold the message of the gospel of peace just because you don't want to experience something difficult. Don't withhold the peace that needs to come to a household because it might get difficult to start. Our avoidance of risk and pain and hardship can keep us from doing that which God calls us to do, to bring right relatedness between each other. Keep in mind, Right relatedness with God begins with poor in spirit when you begin to acknowledge the truth. I am a sinner. And I call it out and I grieve over it. So too, peacemaking in, in between us and others is the same as between us and God. It begins with truth. Motivated by love in a spirit of humility. And even done well. There may be persecution. The second caution I give you is not to celebrate affirmation that you have suffered because of your own foolish, stupid actions. We sin, and there are consequences, and we suffer the persecution of it. That's not the kind of celebration or blessedness that Jesus is talking about. He's blessing those who are persecuted because they've done that which is right, not because of something they did that was wrong. But different from all the other Beatitudes, from poor in the spirit down to blessed are the persecuted, only here does Jesus elaborate. I didn't read verses 11 and 12, but we need to do, to, do so now. Because he elaborates more fully on this idea of what it means to be persecuted because of doing that which is right. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus elaborates saying, yes, affirmed and approved to someone who is persecuted because of doing righteous things, right-related things between them and other people or between them and God. 
But as a result, he says, now, because you're getting persecuted, you need to know this. You need to expect insults, snickers, and mockery. When he says, there are people that are going to insult you. I don't know why it's so, but in America, we are actual cowards with other people. We will withhold something that's so profound and so important at the mere threat that they may not like what we have to say. Yet we claim to be a strong society. But an insult and a snicker and mockery can cause cowards of so many in our culture. And Jesus says, expect it. It's going to happen when you walk as a peacemaker. Secondly, he says, and be prepared to expect persecution. Now, if I was talking to an audience in another part of the world, I would be speaking of persecution that might cost your life. But here in Lancaster County, our persecution might be something where because you're operating according to the standards of Jesus Christ, you might be passed over for a promotion. You might not be invited to a gathering at somebody's home that a lot of others were invited to. You might be attacked with unjust anger, even though you did everything according to that which the scriptures would guide you. That's the kind of persecution we might face. So expect insults, expect persecution. But he also says, and expect that there will be things done and said about you because of Jesus. So he says, expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be mischaracterized. Expect to be misrepresented. Expect it. Because they would receive it adversarially, even if you did it with a gentle and loving manner. There's nothing worse than trying to do the right thing when you see a relationship that's broken and you try to speak into it only to find that they are angry at you and then they slander you with somebody else. Can you believe this person? They came in, they thought they were better than me, better than us. He yelled at me. He spoke poorly of me. He made me feel an inch tall. Meanwhile, you may have actually gently said, hey, listen, I, I'm so sorry. I'm only sharing this because I care about you and I, and I want to see this worked out. But that's not the storyline that they pass on to other people. You've been there? Because I'm a pastor, I get invited into marital situations that are tentious. I go in and, of course, to, to be a true peacemaker, bringing light to where there might be darkness, you have to hear from both sides. And just at the mere question of one side over another, the other is entrenching themselves on their point of view and say, you've turned, you've taken their side, just by questioning some of their own attitudes and actions. It's gone as far as that in being involved in a marriage situation that was built over years of dysfunction and not making peace, that just even me being involved for a couple weeks or a month or two, 
Somehow, the narrative gets out that I made a mess of the situation, so they separated. How in the world did I become the cause of a couple's separation? But sometimes, when you're bringing the gospel light to a situation, even with the greatest of gentleness and care, you get persecuted, misrepresented, and insulted. That's why many of us choose to be peacekeepers. It's a very common trait in our county. Just let things be as they are. They've been that way for generations. We'll be fine. Another generation goes by with the same situations and and problems that have happened since great-grandma and grandpa were around. Peace becomes elusive because we care more about the moment, that we feel good in the moment. But meanwhile, sin continues. Jesus says another thing when he elaborates fully, more fully on this idea of being persecuted. He says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in other words, man, you're not the first. Quit behaving like Nobody else has gone through this. The prophets, and goodness, Jesus himself has gone before us. The way he made peace in our life, do you think it was a gentle lamb that created that scenario? No, it was a horrific crucifixion. Courage beyond anything ever seen that made peace between us and God. And it cost more than what any of us could ever pay. So when he says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, people have gone before you. Consider Paul and Silas. If you know that story at all from the book of Acts, it's a strange story where Paul and Silas were merely going from town to town, sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ, saying that God loves you, God wants to help your life come into right relationship with him. And he's done that through the work of the sacrificial lamb, his son, Jesus Christ. Just by saying that, they were arrested and tortured and thrown into prison. What was the end result that night? They're in their cell and they begin to sing. They start singing. And some of you would say, yeah, but what songs? It says hymns. They sing hymns, so we should be singing hymns. We do. And we sing other songs. The key is, what was going on in their soul? They realized that they had aligned themselves with Christ, and they are suffering the sufferings of Christ along with him. So they celebrated. They were joyful. And it was so striking in that prison cell that they weren't whiners. That when an earthquake happened and the cell doors came open, nobody left because they realized there was more peace in the cell than there was outside of the cell. And as a result of that, salvation came to many prisoners and the jail keepers themselves just because they celebrated in the midst of suffering. Jesus saying, rejoice and be glad 
Because great is in your, your reward in heaven. Not all the rewards are going to happen here. They got to see a reward on the earth when many came to Christ in that moment. But not always is that the story. But just know, you're not alone. Others have gone with us. You see, we need to realize the storylines aren't up to us what happens as a result of the persecution. It's not up to us as to even how God's going to bring peace. Consider what happens in Hebrews chapter 11 when it says that, that many came and conquered kingdoms. If you can turn there, we're going to close with this text. Hebrews chapter 11, it's towards the end of your Bibles. We know this as the hall of faith where it tells of great stories of people who live by faith, celebrating all that they had done, even though sometimes they didn't get to see the fruit of that faith before they passed into glory. But look at what's said in verse 32, where it compares two different types of people of faith. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, and shut the mouths of lions, and quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Man, if I'm going to be a peacemaker, that's what I want my story to look like where there was victory that they got to see with their own eyes. But not always is that true. Look what it says in verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Both those who saw victory on the earth and those who died because of their faith were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised because God had something planned that was better. You see, I can't tell you that whatever peacemaking opportunity might be around you or whatever, pleased, thankful, and grateful. But other times, they're angry. They're resentful. They misrepresent you. They mischaracterize you. They insult you. We don't know. But if you're in the midst of that persecution and suffering, it feels like God's not doing anything. And when you consider all the stories of David who experienced victories and yet he was being pursued by the king he served and that king tried to kill him multiple times and he was out in the desert with no roof over And if you're in the midst of the suffering now or the trial or persecution, just keep being faithful. Keep going through the Beatitudes, making sure your heart's in a good place. Keep operating out of love. And don't resort to peacekeeping. And let God do his work. Let's pray. So Father God, I don't know what things might be represented here in this room. What sufferings or persecutions might be happening. 
I don't know what people who might be listening to this in another part of the world might be experiencing, where their persecutions are possibly life and death. But God, I pray that you'll help us to be courageous, trusting in you that the message of peace is worth whatever insults we may receive and trust that you're going to do a work even when we can't see it. Do a work in our hearts now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?
Matthew 5 tells us to rejoice always, to rejoice and be glad in spite of the circumstances we're dealing with, whether even persecuted. These words are based on that principle. And I would like if we would start by clapping in this song, okay? I'm going to sing it, you clap. Here we go. Come on. It's the song of the redeemed, rising from the African plains. Come on, you can clap. Hands together. It's the song of the forgiven, drowning out the Amazon rain. The song of Asian believers, filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, a love song born of a grateful one. It's all
So when we read in Hebrews 11, it kind of ends with that ominous feel that there are people that have been sought and to, killed by the sword, that didn't get to realize the joy of what was before them. It was going to come afterwards and later. But the writer of Hebrews didn't end with that. In fact, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, those who will come after us, those who are with us now, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He made peace by scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. We're going to consider him then who endured such opposition for sinner so that you and I will not grow weary or lose heart. So the message of the gospel, the gospel of peace, can bring peace to your soul if you are not connected with God right now. That's our message. We need him. And thankfully, many here in this room have experienced him and that peace. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to into that relationship. We have people that will be in the encounter room that will be glad to pray with you and to talk with you. Perhaps you're brought with, by, by someone here this morning. They would be glad to talk to you as well, I'm sure. But for those of us who have known Jesus for a while, it's time to take courage, to show love, to be humble, and be willing to take risks for the sake of somebody else experiencing peace. Let's be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You are dismissed.